welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 182, the June 1984 issue on sale March 13th, 1984. Cover price of 60 cents. This one's titled Madness. How can I bring you to the sea of madness? I love you so much. It's gonna bring me sadness. I've never seen it through these eyes before. Now I don't believe it. I think I'll take it and leave it. Yeah, and on the cover of this issue entitled Madness, uh, there's a somewhat perturbed-looking rogue being shot at with a gun. It's a cool cover. I mean, you know, Meh. John Romita's version of rogue is kind of square. Yeah. But kind of boxy. She's, uh, you know. Yeah. But that's his style. He's, he's really into boxy stuff. There's some, uh, some soldiers behind uh, rogue that are just laying on the ground. They look like they're either S.H.I.E.L.D. soldiers or Hellfire Club soldiers. So something's happened here, and whoever's got the gun is none too happy with Rogue. This gun blast makes no sense. It's firing one shot, but there's four things coming out of it in yeah. four different angles. And then the ricochet from those angles doesn't really seem to make much sense either. They're just Everything's just going wibbly-wobbly. Wibbly-wobbly-tibby-wimey. Um, so, Jeremy... Yeah. This is our first normal episode in a while. We got no extra crap. Um, I mean, there's some additional reading, but there's not extra additional reading. So, so hunker down. I mean, don't hunker down. Like, don't get comfortable because this episode is going to be quick and breezy. That's right. If you're on your jog, this is perfect. If you're on your <laughs> drive, also perfect. If you're on your treadmill, perfect. If you're doing sit-ups or push-ups, this is perfect. If you're... Watching TV, this is probably a bad idea. Yeah, podcasts and television watching, unless you're, uh, uh, you know, super multi-talented, never a good or, idea. Or maybe if you have the sound off of the podcast, that doesn't make any sense. Of the TV, oh, uh, I I would like it if people would send us video clips of like the TV going with the sound off and then us talking, just to see if anything lines up whatsoever. Oh my God, that would be. So much stuff to whittle through. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you that Chris Claremont wrote this thing. John Romita Jr. and Dan Green drew it. Glynis Ween's the colorist. Tom Orzakowski's the letterer. Luis Jones is the editor. And she's actually joined this time along with Ann Nocenti. So she's a name bun- that I am familiar with. Yeah, me too. Uh, so she, she's getting her editing chops in, uh, all under the stewardship and leadership of Heem Shooter. Of Secret Wars fame. Secret what? Secret Wars fame? I don't, I don't, I don't, Secret Wars, I, that's not ringing a bell to me. Hmm. That's interesting. So, for, for what, some reason, uh, I don't know why, but Rogue has flown halfway around the world, Adam. And, uh, yeah, this is, I feel like John Romita is starting to really feel like the John Romita artwork of today. Actually, the, there's the, the middle period John Romita that I don't like, and that's, that's what's happening here. Um, she looks like a robot. That's that's what I'm thinking. You call this middle period Romita? Junior? Yeah, because I like I like it at I like him at first and I like him now. And there's a point, I think in the three hundreds, when I really don't like him. Hmm. He's he doesn't uh it's too it's just too boxy for me. Sure. No, I, she, I, looks, she looks like a robot. Um, I am rogue. 
I don't disagree with that, Adam. That this is uh, probably art-wise. Well, you know, I guess I'm not as uh, maybe art inclined with the X Men as I once thought I was, based on all of the content that we've read over the years. But when I was reading, and of my stash, uh, this period, and some people might call the sacrilege, was kind of my least favorite art-wise. Did you grow a mustache? Uh, no. Why? Because you said you're something about your stash. <laughs> my stash of comic books. Oh. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Having gone through everything that we've gone through before, I'm, I'm actually looking at this with renewed and refreshed eyes. And yeah, she looks a little robotic. And yeah, it's a little bit boxy. But I, I still appreciate it for, for what it is uh, and the time period that it symbolizes. So, you know, I, I dig it. It only bothers me on this page, to be honest. Maybe it's because it's a full page spread and it's it's uh, it's isolated. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so Rogue has flown halfway around the world because they just got back from from somewhere. I don't know where they were, but but uh, the rest of the X Men are in Tokyo. And uh, as you remember from last issue, Storm said, uh, or Professor Xavier said, "Fly back to the mansion." Jeremy is suffering from Secret Wars fatigue. Secret what? Nothing. Don't oh, worry about it. I sorry. wasn't talking yeah. to you. Okay, good. So, yeah, she's up there. She's flying around, and she's, like, by an airplane, uh, kind of being a little bit of a terrorist here. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, she uh, she doesn't attack this airplane, but she's flying around, uh, and she surprises the hell out of these pilots. So, I mean, that, to me, is an act of terrorism, because now these guys have got to call it in. There's all sorts of weird notes on the black box, and uh, and she's just like, oh, the expressions on their faces was priceless. Meanwhile, they got to get a, give a deposition to the uh, what to the federal the FAA. I don't know if that counts as an act of terror. <laughs> if these people were afraid and if they had to divert their flight because they thought they were in uh, some sort of danger, then it was an act of terrorism. I mean, look at this one guy. He's drinking his coffee. Well, he's facing the wrong way. It's the other two. Look at the pilot and the co-pilot. They've got the little question marks and exclamation points. They're like, what? Question marks and exclamation points aren't really telling me that there's terror happening here. I just don't think that this is a particularly funny thing to do to a bunch of airline pilots. If this was the flight that I was on and all of a sudden we hit like a whole bunch of turbulence because the pilot and the co-pilot are like, what is that in front of us? And they jostled the wheel. I wouldn't think that was very funny. That's true. However, she's a teenager, and I'm assuming that with this, that with, if this were to actually cause a problem, she would help uh, fix the problem, right uh -huh. the wrong, as it were. Okay. So she heads back to the mansion, and, uh, you know, she's she's reminiscing a little bit. She never thought she'd call Professor Xavier's home, but uh, here she is. She gives Does it a, say how long this took her to fly halfway around the world? I guess not. Son of a she gun. She says it's in record time. I've just flown halfway around the world in record time. So could be a day, could be a few hours. We don't know. But yeah, okay. she, she's reminiscing about the good old days when she was in the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Mystique, their leader, used to be the closest thing to her mom, and now she's a good guy. What am I going to do? One of these days I'm going to have to deal with this, but I don't really want to right now. Wonder where everybody is, looking for the new mutants. Because huh. the professor sent her to check on the new mutants and Kitty Pride, uh, while he and the X-Men faced the giant dragon in Japan. Correct. So she's checking some stuff out. She refers to a guy uh, called the Beyonder. I'm not really sure who that is. <laughs> it must be a an Avengers villain. But uh, apparently Madeline left a message at Professor Xavier saying, Help! Scott vanished right out of my arms! What happened to my husband? If all went well, Cyclops 
should have been returned to you safe and sound. I should probably call about that, but uh, not going to do that. Next, There's another message. Next message. <laughs> and it's uh, a man who calls out uh, Charles and Rogue recognizes the voice. We don't know how. This is, this is Michael Rossi. I'm aboard S.H.I.E.L.D.'s helicarrier. I'm afraid our suspicions have been confirmed. I, Ung. <laughs> he, he was cut off mid-transmission. He's in trouble. And she flies out the window because she recognizes that voice and she has to run to rescue. Um, I don't... Did, is it really... How easy is it to figure out where a S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier is? Because, <laughs> uh... like, she, does, she wasn't given a location... So where's she going? She's just gonna fly around. Let's wait. Until she sees it. No, I, let's wait on that. Supervision. I have an I have an idea. It's gonna be a bit okay. far fetched, but when we get to the point where it's the correct time, I will review reveal it. Um, but do you remember Michael Rossi? Yeah, he was in New Mutants. Was he in New Mutants? He was also in X Men number ninety six. Oh, okay. He, I remember him from New Mutants. He showed up when the Sentinels attacked the New Mutants. What did he do in X Men ninety six? Well, he showed up when Stephen Lang invented the new Sentinels. Mm. So he's, he's, uh, he was, I don't remember his exact role, but he uh, was involved with Stephen Lang in some like romantically? Yes, they were lovers. Wow. <laughs> uh, and then we hadn't seen him since 96, at least in the pages of the X-Men. I don't really recall him in New Mutants, but I'm guessing that must have been what? Number one? Uh, three or three. Uh, no, it was probably four. Yeah. Okay. Well, whenever or the three, three or four, up. maybe two. The next message that uh, Kitty, I'm sorry, Rogue would have heard if she would have stuck around, but she was in such a rush that all the papers went flying, was a message from uh, Ileana. Kitty's been captured by the Hellfire Club. Emma Frost is trying to brainwash her into deserting the X-Men and joining them. Kitty's resisting as best she can, but she can't... This is a lot of detail. She can't uh, last much longer. The New Mutants and I are going to take a bus <laughs> and rescue her. <laughs> and we, we read all that. Uh, if we don't... I left you a message that says pretty much the same thing. Yes, and underneath that dialogue box is a note which in fact says almost exactly the same thing. So. If you never come back, I guess it doesn't really matter. Click. So, at... A shield helicarrier. Now, Adam, at this time in the Marvel Universe, how many shield helicarriers are there? I don't know. A lot or just one? Well, it says hovers a unique aircraft, but I don't know if that means it's unique because there's only one or unique because the design of the shield helicarrier is unique. I would... I could go either way. I would guess the latter, uh, but I don't know much enough anything really about S.H.I.E.L.D. as it exists at this point in the Marvel Universe. Let me tell you one other thing, Adam. I'm really glad that they changed the design of the helicarriers for the movies, because if this thing was in the movie, I don't think it would have done as well. <laughs> this thing looks stupid. I, I feel like this the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier, as far as I know, it has never looked like this before. This looks like a disco ball. Oh, yeah, it does. Um, so anyways, there's a, a couple of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents on there, and they're uh, they're confronting uh, a man, which it's Mike Rossi. We'll just cut to the chase here. And they're uh, they're punching him and hitting him and trying to get him to talk, but he won't. They're torturing him. Yeah, well, not really. I mean, they've been, like, at it for a while, like, trying to get him to talk. There's a white guy and a black guy. The white guy is, like, he wants answers, and he's, like, hitting him, and, and the black guy's like, hey, don't do that. We can't do that. And the white guy's like, oops, my finger slipped. And he's roughing him up. The black guy's like, don't do that. I got to go talk to Fury. You know Fury's orders, Price. No rough stuff. Fury's getting old and maybe too soft for his own good. Besides, old buddy, who's to tell him? 
I need to go call Sebastian Shaw. I mean, take a break. I need some fresh air. <laughs> so the black guy, he takes off uh, to his room. Meanwhile, the white guy's like, don't sweat it, pal. I won't kill you. I won't even break any bones yet. Dun, dun, dun. So black guy's like, ah, better call Sebastian Shaw. He's going to want to know about this. So what's the black guy's name? I don't know. Well, the other guy is Price. I don't think he has a name. Well, he does have a name. Maybe he doesn't have a name until he talks to Sebastian Shaw. Oh, he's Agent Garwood. Okay. Previously to that, he was the black guy or old buddy. <laughs> so he, uh, yeah, he checks in. He's got like a hidden uh, um, a computer or something like that. And he calls into uh, the Hellfire Club to report. But uh, there's a agent... Uh, who kind of looks like um, one of the Cobra guys. The Trouble Bubbles? No, I don't know. The guys with the mask. I don't know. They all had masks. Oh, the Viper? Yeah, he looks like one of the Vipers, but there was like 20 Vipers, weren't there? The Televiper? Kind of, maybe. Looks like the Televiper. <laughs> Let's go with that. Anyways, he's uh, he's monitoring helicarrier communications, and he's like, somebody's making an unauthorized communication. The call is coming from inside the helicarrier. But we don't know from where within. So whoever's off, find out. Whoever's from without, uh, from off panel is like, keep looking. I'm going to go talk to Fury. Show sure enough. So meanwhile, Garwood is talking to Sebastian Shaw and Tessa, mm -hmm. showing him a photo of Michael Rossi, who, te uh, who, who Tessa identifies as Michael Rossi. Now, is that like Tessa's mutant power? She, she, her, her mutant power has something to do with intelligence, right? I really don't know. Um, I don't know. I would just uh, assume that she read the files. Well, why would she have read the files, but Sebastian Shaw not? Well, Sebastian Shaw, he doesn't have time for that. That's why he's got, <laughs> that's why he's got Tessa. I didn't read the files. <laughs> I'm Sebastian Shaw. I'm a rich playboy. I hobnob with millionaires. Tessa, read up those files. And this photo there, this, this drawing of uh, Sebastian Shaw here reminds me of Rob Liefeld. Not... Not that it looks like Rob Liefeld, but the the drawing has lines very much in a, a Liefeldian kind of wrinkles. Do you see that, or am I just crazy? <sighs> hmm. I feel like there's not enough hashing around his forehead, right? Uh, I get what you're saying, because he's got, like, the wrinkles in the forehead and... And all that stuff going on in his lower face and his eyes are all blacked out, inked in, which is kind of Liefeldian or even to a certain degree McFarlanian. Uh, <laughs> but if it was a true uh, Liefeld, you would have like uh, an arc and then hash marks on the arc on his forehead. It's true that we can't see his feet. <laughs> right. His feet are not drawn here. And uh, that would definitely be the giveaway. Um, yeah. So, uh, he's like, uh, Shaw here is like, eliminate him, Garwood. So, Michael Rossi, he's on the death list. That's when Emma Frost beams in as a telepathic simulacrum. Simulacrum? Sure. Sure, why not? And she says that she has acquired some new students at her Massachusetts Academy, Charles Xavier's former protégés, the New Mutants. Would you care to meet them? And uh, Sebastian Shaw uh, says in the affirmative that he would. And so we know that this issue takes place squarely between, well, probably the first half of 18 and the second half of 18. So I believe at the end of 17 is where magic disappears into magic world. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then when they come back, it's a week later and then they have to travel back in time. Or no, it's a year later. That's right. Well, and then they come back, and it's a week later. And it's a week later. Yeah. So meanwhile, uh, Rogue is resting on top of a fluffy cloud. 
So apparently if you just ride the fluffy clouds, they'll take you straight to the shield helicarrier. So what is your... Um... I can't tell you yet. Okay. <laughs> so she she has found the helicarrier, and, and uh, uh, if we continue along Adam's line of thought, you'd be like, wow, that's really lucky that Rogue found the helicarrier. Um, but she's up there, but here's the next piece of luck. She's like, I'll take my Susan B. Anthony, and I'm going to throw it at like an exhaust port, and uh, that's going to take out their defenses. You just got to know where to throw. And so she does. It ricochets all over the place, taking out all of the uh, sensors, and that's when she makes her move and flies in. So she, How do you feel about this? I'm not ready Cause, to tell you. Because uh, this throwing of the coin thing, that this is a power that Rogue doesn't really, really do much so, after this. It reminds me a lot of Gambit, actually, but that's a side note. Well, it could be Gambit or um, Longshot. Oh, yes. Longshot. Either one of them would work. But I, we'll get there, Adam. We'll get there. I'm just, I'm not ready to tell you yet. I think I know where you're going with this, but you, I'll you wait. You definitely know where I'm going with this, but the listener might not. <laughs> so, Rogue, she flies in, she kicks in a door. There's some, I don't know, shield scientists, it looks like. They they got lab coats. They're they're coming to attack Rogue. I'm disappointed that she doesn't say, hi-ya! Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, she takes off the door. She picks up the door, the metal door, and she hits all of the scientists in the face with the door. They fall over. Again, she could have said hi-ya. She should have. She finds the bulkhead system, opens it up. I don't know how she knows how to do all this, but she does. Well, you, she says, your people haven't changed, Nick Fury. They're brave, but oh so dumb. So that is implying that she has experience with Nick Fury's people. Interesting. Isn't it, though? It is. And so then she smashes all of the computers, uh, neutralizing the vessel's entire internal security network. Not too shabby if I do say so myself. Everybody, Everybody will, be, will be way too busy just making sure the carrier stays aloft to worry about me. I, I'm going to talk about, like, this. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll save it for later. Let's just, we'll, have a, we'll have a little debate at that time when the time is right. Okay. In the meantime, uh, there's some blast doors opening, or I'm sorry, shutting because uh, the the tub's going on lockdown. And uh, open Nick, the blast doors. Open the blast doors. <laughs> close the blast doors. Close the blast doors. Uh, Mc McDougal. What's this guy's name? Garland. Garland. No, Garwood. Garwood. <laughs> Garwood. He's running. He he slides underneath the bulkhead and he sees. Uh, white guy, Price. Price. Sure. Price is about to shoot uh, Rossi. The Price is wrong. And uh, he's like, uh, 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 g give me a hand. And that's when Garwood shoots Price. Price is not about to shoot Rossi. You're right. He just wants to drag him back into the cell. He's been but punching he, but, him. But yeah, he beat the crap out of him. So Rossi is unconscious. Right. I was wrong about that. So then Garwood makes up this whole stories. Um, he overpowered you, grabbed your gun, and shot you in the head. I had no choice but to kill him. Satisfy ballistics. I'm going to put your weapon in my hand, and it's a perfect frame job. No one's going to know. Pardon me, Sugar, says an obvious voice from behind. Who? What? Oh, golly gee, it's Rogue, and she's interrupting. She, let she opens the blast doors. And then she lets the blast doors slam behind her, and she says... You see, Colonel Rossi, a f or you see, Colonel Rossi, a friend of mine. I'm afraid I really can't let you shoot him. Here, here's where we get the cover. Uh, Garwood shoots her with his his blaster several times. Pow, 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 pow. Her suit the, uh, must be bulletproof. Uh, yeah, you know, she got it from that mysterious planet that you don't remember, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. 
Anyways, uh, she's like, you better surrender. And he's like, nope, uh, she's invulnerable. Now I'm going to shoot Rossi real quick. Uh, but he doesn't get time because Rogue's over there in a flash, destroying the gun and punching Garwood out. And that's when Rogue picks up Rossi and says, Colonel Mickey, they did a royal number on you, didn't they, Ace? Not to worry, though. You're in good hands the best. I'll take care. I'll take. Why wouldn't she say, I'll take care of you? That's weird, Adam. Well, though, yes. She seems to be slipping in and out of, like, southern drawl. Well, I have a problem that before this panel, she really isn't slipping in out of a southern drawl. But I can explain but, that, too. But we'll do that when we get to the, to the right point. But, yes, she is, definitely, <laughs> she is definitely at this point slipped out of her southern drawl. And she is now speaking without her southern drawl. And in fact, uh, Colonel Rossi recognizes her voice. That voice can't be thought. Never see you again. Me and the bad penny lover forever popping up where you least expected or when least expected. Blast. He's unconscious. He may have internal injuries. So she's she's got a different voice. She's got a, she's lost her southern drawl. Well, we don't know that she has a different voice. Well, uh, let's not uh, jump to conclusions. Well, but he says like that voice can't well, be. He never maybe thought it's he's human. talking about Rogue's voice. Okay, that's a good point. Maybe he's got a past relationship with Rogue. I mean, after all, Rogue does say call him lover, so maybe they were lovers, even though she's like seventeen. Right? Yeah, gross. Anyway, so she <laughs> she punches a hole out of the side of the helicarrier, dragging Rossi behind. She and thinks to herself, "What was Rossi's mission? He was working with Xavier." But was it officially sanctioned? And why the rough stuff from those S.H.I.E.L.D. operatives? One of them had murdered another and was about to execute him. Was the killer a mole? If so, who was he working for? This Xavier thing, like Rossi working with Xavier, does this ever get followed up on? I'm wondering. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Stay tuned? But I don't think yeah. so. Yeah, I don't think so either. But yeah, we'll have to keep our so, keep our eyes peeled and our ears Wax, waxed. I, <laughs> I think you'd want your ears the opposite of waxed, but you know. de-waxed. This uh, particular issue, as well as a handful that are coming up uh, from here to two hundred, um, I only have like like um, a smattering. So I've never actually read the full story. Actually, I should say it's been a long time since I've read the full story in continuity. But as a kid, and you can probably relate to this, Adam, when you had your comic books, you probably read them over and over and over again, right? Of course. Yeah. So this comic, I've read this comic multiple times and then, but I didn't have the issue after it. I had like the issue, two issues after it. And I read that one. So you'd miss little bits and pieces. So if there was any Michael Rossi follow-up. Um, I don't think it was in any of the issues I owned, but I was only owned like 50% of the issues from here to 200. So this will be an adventure for me too. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, uh, they deploy some jet fighters to go chase after Rogue. Um, Rogue, she takes out uh, another Susan B. Anthony. and You you don't think it's the same one? She like recollected it? I guess it could be. I mean, she might be a frugal woman who once she got into helicarrier, like, where's that Susan B? That's a dollar. <laughs> yeah. She finds it and she throws it at this airplane. She ain't getting this one back, though, because it, it goes right through one of the exhaust inputs or whatever you call it and out the tail. So this plane is messed up. And the pilot parachutes out. I've got to bail out. In true G.I. Joe fashion, he bails out just in the nick of time, right before it blows up. Delta base, I'm trying to stay with the hostile, but she's so fast, I can't match her moves. Where'd she go? Blast, I'm coming back. So, meanwhile, or later, I should say, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, uh, Rogue has landed with Mike Rossi at, let's see, she says, the old lady still has some pretty nifty moves, Ace, referring to herself, but she's not old, Adam. She's like 17. Yeah, slang. Yeah, okay. 
We should be safe here. My folks leave the house pretty much empty over the midwinter. Oh, okay. So this is Mystique's house. Or maybe it's Rogue's real parents' house. Oh, ooh, a little origin story going on here. Look at me carrying my first true love across the tr- threshold. I'm really confused now, Adam. Maybe as a young 13-year-old. <laughs> she met a young 20-year-old Mike Rossi <laughs> and they started dating because that's normal. Yeah, you know, first love. Yeah, that, that could definitely be it. They never went all the way, Adam. He wanted to respect her youth. He was waiting for her to grow up. Yeah, exactly. They just held hands a lot. Uh, one of life's little ironies, considering, as you said, we haven't seen each other for years, considering I thought you were dead. It just keeps getting weirder, Adam. Mm-hmm. So she lays him down. Um, I don't know. She's thinking, like, what'll I do until he wakes up? What'll I do then? What's wrong? And then she thinks to herself, this house, I don't belong. Yeah, that's odd. But then she just, bingo, if mom was her regular dependable self, the kitchen should be fully stocked. All I have to do is turn on the gas for the stove and I'm in business. wonder why I felt so weird a minute ago. Of course I belong here. This is my home. Duh. <laughs> Duh. No Southern drawl either, so it's still a little weird. So maybe the whole Southern thing is just like a, a farce. Yeah, she's been taking it this whole time. <laughs> she's not a Southerner at all. <laughs> Wait a minute. So Rossi wakes up and he's wondering where he where he is. Rogue. Where am I? Not aboard a helicarrier, that's for certain. Unless unless the helicarrier has a bed. I guess that's a possibility. Am I still a prisoner? And she says, uh, I wouldn't advise moving Ace. She brings him some soup, and uh, she he, Rossi's thinking to himself, like, oh, that's, I've read the files. <laughs> that's Rogue. Xavier mentioned her. Funny. I could have sworn he said she was from the Deep South. Where'd she pick up her Boston accent? Why does her voice sound so familiar? So weird. So she sets the soup down. He's like, oh, this looks great. And she, he smells it and he thinks to himself, it can't be. But it is. And as good as I remember it, too. Where'd you get this recipe? It's my own special concoction, Michael. Surely you haven't forgotten. What? Is my hearing going? Or my mind? Am I hallucinating? My apologies, he says out loud. I thought the soup was unique. <laughs> it is, stupid. It's mine. No, no, no. You don't understand. A friend of mine came up with this exact same dish. Rossi, it wasn't you. That friend was me. What's with the head games, chum? We've known each other for years. I'm not playing head games, miss. We've never met. The first time I laid eyes on you was just now when you walked into this room. That's crazy, Ace. Where'd you learn that nickname? And we could go on and on and on. But basically, <laughs> there is a a, uh, a series of, um, I don't know, misunderstandings here. Um, Rogue is definitely like, you and I are friends and we know each other. And Rossi's like, look, little girl, we've never met. And he's wondering why she's here. And he, she's Rogue says, uh, you called and I answered. Um, I Don't you remember when you busted me out of the Lubyanka prison? The KBGB would never have let me go. I owe you, you my... And, you and Wolverine defied orders yeah. to bust me out? Why are you looking at me so strangely, Rossi? What's wrong? You are, St- baby doll. Stop. You're scaring at me. When was Lubyanka? Eight years ago. And we first met? Right after I joined the Air Force. So I... that makes you about... 12. <laughs> I was so young back then, Michael, so innocent. I looked and acted tough, but I wasn't. Wait, when I enlisted, I was 18. But I'm 18 now. How can that be? How can I remember being with you, fighting by your side, loving you when I couldn't have been more than a kid? Yeah, something's going on, Adam. 
Something is not right. She recognizes the house that her brothers and her, her dad helped build. She there was, was an accident. She ended up with a wicked cut across her left hand, but now her left hand is completely clear. And she looks in the mirror and she's like, my hair, why is it so short? It, wait, uh, it shouldn't be in a southern drawl, I don't think. It should be blonde. What happened to my face? What's happening to me? That's when Rossi thinks to himself what we've been kind of alluding to all along, that she's switching accents from line to line and personalities as well. Rogue, he finally says, listen to me, you're not Carol Danvers. Stop trying to pretend you are. It's not pretend. She runs outside and trips over a chain and falls down. Yep, she's laying on the beach and she's like, I remember this beach. My brothers and I, Steve was killed in Vietnam and the girl, Carol, running, that's me and we used to have fun and... And that's when uh, dream-like Carol jumps into Rogue's body and she has like kind of a little reminisce running down the beach with her siblings, throwing the ball back and forth. But then Carol is now a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent and she splits out of Rogue, has a little romantic interlude, I believe, here with Rossi, I would guess. Yeah, with Rossi. Uh, and then she becomes Carol Danvers. I'm sorry, Ms. Marvel. And then there was a tragic thing where she was uh, attacked by another young woman and thrown off a bridge. Oh, that was me. I did that, didn't I? Well, shoot. (laughs) So Rogue is dealing with multiple personalities here. She's got her own, and since she absorbed... The powers and psyche of Carol Danvers, uh, the the strain of the flight halfway around the world, and hearing Mike Rossi's voice on the message was enough to uh, basically um, force her to lose control and let the rogue person, I'm sorry, the Carol Danvers persona take over. Which leads me to, how did she know where the helicarrier was? Well, maybe it's only parked in like one of three locations. And Carol Danvers knew where it was, so she flew up there. Okay, I'll buy that. The Susan B. Anthony, she knows the ins and outs of that thing. And she also knows how to use her powers. I mean, these aren't Rogue's powers. These are Ms. Marvel's powers. So she knew that if she took a Susan B. and if she hit the exhaust port at the right angle, that thing would ricochet all over the place and take out all the defenses. See, I would buy that if that was a known (laughs) Carol Danvers thing. All right, fine. It's a little (laughs) far-fetched. But she knows the inner workings of the the uh, the helicarrier, so she got lucky with the with the quarter. Okay, and so what's going on with her voice is always southern up until she bumps into Michael Rossi. Huh. I think personally that she was on autopilot, kind of being influenced by the Carol Danvers memories in the back of her mind. But then once she saw Mike Rossi, uh, the emotions overtook and Carol Danvers took over. And that's when she slipped into the Boston accent with the Carol Danvers voice. It's definitely possible, but far too complicated. Yeah, well, it's a yeah. comic book. Yeah, you could have just made her not have the southern accent for that whole time. Nobody would have noticed. And then they could have gone back and be like... Oh, man, I didn't even realize she didn't have the Southern accent this whole time. Yeah. I'm so stupid. <laughs> I I don't disagree. I think that that would have been maybe a better better way to do it. Like, from the moment that she listened to the voicemail and flew out of the window, everything should have been not Southern drawl. Right. And as the writer, maybe sub or reader, subconsciously, you might have been like, what? What's going on? And then, of course, on reread, you'd be like, oh, that's cool. But anyways, yeah. Chris Claremont, he's he's getting there. He's just not not there yet. He's working it out. Okay. He, he should got, be there. He's got to turn Come these on. books out like monthly, man. That's a lot of work. He's working on like Alpha Flight, New Mutants, and this. He's not working on Alpha Flight. 
Uh, are you sure? It's crazy talk. Okay. That John Byrne writes Alpha Flight. Oh, he does. Okay. Well, Chris Claremont's writing something else. Maybe he's writing Fantastic Four. No, uh, he never wrote Fantastic oh, John, Four. That's John Byrne again. Stop uh, giving Chris Claremont for everything that John Byrne writes. Uh, Power Pack? Is he doing Power Pack? No, I think Anna Senti does Power Pack. I don't think Power Pack has uh, started yet. No, it's coming up. But We're very close to it starting. We are. All right, anyway, it's fine. Um, he writes New Mutants. That's it? As far as I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he might. Yeah, he probably writes something else. Okay, well, anyways, so she she's on the beach, and she's worked all this out, uh, and she, you know, Mike Rossi comes down and is like, hey, you all right? What's going on? That was really weird, but you are just a kid, so I kind of feel like I should take care of you a little bit. And this is uh, Rogue tells him everything about how she absorbed Carol Danvers' powers, leaving her as a as a shell, and it was really really awful for Carol. She lost all of her memories, and now Rogue has all her memories and and emotions. Rossi's Rossi's pretty upset by this whole deal. Well, I mean, imagine this, right? So uh, Carol Danvers, as we read through in, in, in that run is like, uh, I don't love you. I don't remember who that was to. Maybe it was to Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Was, who, was it to Wolverine? Like, I used to love you, but I just don't feel that way anymore. It's like all of those emotions that she had throughout her entire life were stripped away from her. And now you got Rogue who has to deal with, I love this Mike Rossi man. Like, I would love to have him in my hands and hold him, and I would feel warmth and, and emotions, and it would be um, amazing. And then Mike Rossi's sitting there like, what did you do? And oh, and, yeah. and Rogue's got to live with this, and she's got to be like, but you don't understand. Like, it's not Rogue. It's Carol Danvers is in here. Like, literally, Carol Danvers is in here and would love to hug you. I'm not I'm not disagreeing or or uh, saying that this is bad writing or anything like that. I think this is uh, this is really well done. Yeah, no, I'm, I I know you're not. I'm just the the uh, immensity of that is of that notion is it's pretty heavy. It is. It's a, it's it's powerful stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, yeah, Mike Rossi not happy about this. Rogue is like, look, I I I didn't know the extent of my powers, and I was kind of crazy and. She was strong and she fought back, and I don't know what happened. Here I am. Not only did she fight back, but she she's she's still a part of me that is still fighting back. Mike Rossi says, so what happened to Carol? And Rogue looks at him with uh, tears in her eyes and says, I'm Carol in all ways that count. So this goes to the, you know, the concept of the soul, like... Is your soul your soul if it's in a different meat sack? Well, I think that's just still a matter of, of confusion on Rogue's part. Well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, in no way, shape, or form would I say that... Well, fine. Soul's a little bit too far. But. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Carol Dan- Danvers is lurking inside of Rogue. Eh, uh, kind of. Sort of, but not, not, in the, not in the fashion that, he, he, you know... He, he, here's what I think, Adam. And and I think we'll see future issues that kind of illustrate this. But I think that the Carol Danvers that lived up until the moment that she was pushed off the bridge, that all the culmination of that lives in Rogue. Everything that happened beyond that binary and all that sort of stuff, that's a new person that's just occupying the same sack of bones and muscle that Carol Danvers is or was. Well, which which kind of does get to the whole soul thing, but it's 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 soul is too strong. I think it's 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 a concept that is a little more complicated than that. But I think that it is uh, it's something new. So it's cool. It's like it's like if you uh, copied over some files of a computer into a different system, it's not really the same system, but it's got all the same stuff, same attributes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you that. I'll definitely give you that. It's a uh, 
it's a facsimile maybe of of everything up until that point. So it's not the same, but it's very very close. It's a really cool sci-fi concept. Yeah. Mike Rossi, uh, bravo Chris Claremont Mike, for figuring this out. Well, it could have been John Romita Jr. who's like, "You know what I want to do? Let's make Rogue go crazy." And uh Chris like, "Oh, it's a good idea. Do okay. it." Yeah, whatever you want. Whatever you want to do. I'll write it. Mike Rossi is not happy about this at all and slaps Rogue across the face. Whack! I don't believe you, Rogue, and I don't care. Before God, I was wish there was some way to make you pay for what you've done. I wish I had the power to kill you. So do I, my love. So do I, she says, whimpering on the ground. Whimper? Heavy. Meanwhile, back in the helicarrier, one Nicholas J. Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., shows up to Garwood's uh, hospital bed and says, Hey, was this the chick that took you out? What do you think the J stands for? Joseph. (laughs) Jerwood. I have no idea. Uh, And the guy's like, yeah. Yeah, that that that's her. Uh, and uh, who who's her his girlfriend, partner, or whatever? La Contessa Valentina Allegro de Fontaine. Yeah, she's like, uh, uh, we still haven't identified the prisoner, Mike Rossi, but her rescuer is Rogue, one of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Although lately she's been with the X Men, her powers absorb mind and physical abilities of whoever she touches. Strange though, Price was shot. Why would someone with Rogue's assets stoop to using a gun? That doesn't make any sense. She thinks to herself. She's playing a little detective here, but. Nick Fury doesn't care. He says, I don't care if she's joined the Girl Scouts, Vel. I won't have my people murdered. Operations, this is Fury. You know, all points alert for Rogue. Bring her in. She's extremely dangerous. If she resists, I hereby authorize the use of deadly force. Deadly force being a code name for a team that Nick Fury is creating in the background, consisting of three midgets. That would be awesome. (laughs) This is Chris Claremont trying to spin off a new series called Nicholas... Fury and the Deadly Force of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Uh, next issue, he'll never make me cry. He will. It's his party, and he'll never make me cry. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, bravo. Good stuff. <laughs> That's Yeah, it's good. You know, as a kid, I always read that. I was like, there's not really all that much action. Um, don't know who this Mike Rossi guy is. Didn't really know too much about the history of uh, Rogue and Carol Danvers. Although I think somewhere around this point, I had gotten my Avengers Annual number ten, so I enjoyed it because it had a, a touchback on that. But uh, as an adult looking back, I was like, yeah, that's a pretty good issue. It's kind of a filler issue, but it's a filler issue that is really, really good. It's got so- some meat. And 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 as a result, because it's such a strong filler issue, it actually becomes. The beginning of a whole new story. Right. So right. it's almost like in the wake of that thing that you don't want to talk about, not, Secret Wars. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I'd okay. love, Adam, I'd love to talk. I just don't know what you're talking about. It's it's a secret. It's okay. Oh, well, that you're makes You're just not in on the secret. Why, why are you keeping secrets from me? <laughs> it's not me. It's Marvel. It's him shooter. Oh, he's a jerk. He told me not to tell you. All right. Yeah, so uh, there you go. So anyway, in the wake of that, he, uh, <laughs> I feel like Chris Claremont's still trying to figure out, uh, what am I supposed to be doing here? Because like, this, this thing's going on, and uh, you know, maybe I had a, I don't know what to do. Let's, let's do an issue about Rogue. Okay. Yeah. Mission, mission. Thinking about Carol Danvers. Mission accomplished. Good job. So 
we got a Facebook message. Sure did. And this is a Facebook message. It says, love this podcast. Started in late December of 2015. Now with it being March of 2016, I'm on episode 115, or 150 rather, the milestone episode. Loving the podcast. Not sure what I'll ever do when I get finished. I'd love to hear my name on the show and I'll call and leave a message when I reach the current episode. See you soon. Well, I haven't read your name and I'm not going to. Oh man, you're, you're, you're a SOB. <laughs> Just kidding. That was Samuel Bear. And now you've heard your name on this podcast. Podcast, and we are expecting a voicemail sometime. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there you go. Chris Withers, he, he he contacted us a while ago. We didn't touch on this. He he wants us to do a Deadpool movie review. And uh, maybe we could talk about that a little bit. I don't know if we could do a full episode on it. Adam, have you watched it yet? I did. I did go see Deadpool. Okay, so we'll, we'll pick a time. We'll talk about it probably at the back end of one of these episodes. But uh yeah, yeah, good stuff. We also got a new drink from John Morin. Uh, this one's called the Optic Blast. He says it's a drink that he came up with that he thought we might like. It's pretty basic, and you can modify it based on how strong you want the blast to knock you down. Uh, it's got three ingredients, vodka, raspberry lemonade, and a dash of lime juice. The more vodka you use, the stronger the blast. And uh, I saw this maybe 15 minutes before we started recording, and I was like, oh, man, I want to go get some raspberry lemonade. This sounds great. It sounds like a variation of the Moscow Mule. Actually, it is a variation of the Moscow Mule. What's in the Moscow Mule Vod- besides vodka? <laughs> well, vodka, um, ginger beer, and a dash of lime juice. Oh, okay. But uh, this, you know, based on my experience with Moscow Mules, which is quite positive, as, uh, this would also be good. I, I would imagine that you would want to do probably two ounces of uh, vodka and then four or five ounces of the raspberry lemonade and then maybe a half an ounce of lime juice. And I'll bet you that would be a really good drink. I love raspberry lemonade. Who doesn't? And I was trying to make a drink out of raspberry lemonade. I was trying to combine it with some of that uh, blue cacao to make it like a purple to give it like a Banff sort of thing. But I, I like this idea, the Optic Blast. I like the name. I like the simplicity of it, and mm-hmm. I am totally going to try this. Is the cacao, is that a sweet liquor? Uh, yeah, it's like a triple sec. Oh. See, I would imagine that that would be too sweet. Like that and the lemonade and the lime juice would just be like, I don't know, high C fruit punch by the time you're done. Yeah, it kind of was. The great thing about like the ginger beer or the raspberry lemonade and the vodka is the vodka lemonade dilutes the sweetness of whatever you're mixing it with, and then the lime juice throws in that tartness, which... Like, you just can't go wrong. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm definitely going to try this. I might have to buy... I have got tons of vodka because I got into the Moscow Mules pretty heavily. So I might have to find myself a little thing of raspberry lemonade. Just to... Maybe next week, folks. Maybe next week we can do an optic blast. I've got I've got everything except for the raspberry lemonade as well, so... So you have two of the three ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you want to suggest a drink to us or... I don't know, just talk to us in general. You can do so. You can visit us at www.facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go. We can be found at www.xmenpodcast.com. You can go to iTunes. You can type in Danger Room. We're the first podcast that shows up. You can do, uh, listen to us on Stitcher, if that's your internet radio uh, thing. And, uh, yeah, you can leave us a voicemail, 501-GET-X-MEN. Um, you could, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. 
Choo-choo. That is one other thing you can do. Oh, you can email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. There you go. That's all the ways to get a hold of us. All right. So uh, I know that nobody's written in about this, but I just know it's on their mind. Everyone's kind of like, what happened to Dazzler? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you. In Dazzler number 32, not a lot happens. Um, so little happens that I just don't know how much of it I even want to cover, Adam. Uh, she uh, she gets infiltrated by the Inhumans, because if you recall, she's become a workout woman as a part-time job to make ends meet. Oh, yeah. I recall uh, that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I bet you you do. Uh, the Inhumans remember uh, that, uh, that, well, they met because she had a miss- mission with Black Bolt, a while ago while well, they were um, fighting uh, the Absorbing Man. Yeah. So they're asking her for help, and she's all like, I'm busy. I want to be an actress, and I got aerobics. And so the Inhumans, it's uh, it's uh, Medusa and the dog, uh, Lockjaw, I think is his Lockjaw. name. Lockjaw. Yeah. Lockjaw's awesome. He is pretty cool. I wish I had a big giant dog uh, that teleported me around. But imagine cleaning <laughs> up after him. He doesn't go. He doesn't go? No. Are you sure? He does like, uh, he's got those, he's on those terranium crystals or whatever they're called. So um, it uh, it absorbs all that. I don't know what that is. I don't know what I'm talking about. You I'm making stuff up. You could have just said that he like teleports it away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so she goes and checks on her aerobics people, whatever they Terrigen stick. mist. That's what it is. Ah, right. You'll learn about that soon enough because I'm sure it's coming to all the movies. You think it's coming to the X-Men movies or to the Avenger movies? The Marvel Universe. The Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're about to get a whole Inhumans movie. Yeah. Plus, plus all the mutants in the Marvel Universe are Inhumans now. Really? Are they? Yeah. Well, so I've heard. Okay. We'll see. You've been saying that for a while. That is true. Anyhow, Uh, yeah. If you you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., there is definitely an Inhumans presence. Okay. I have not watched much uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Better get on that. Finish Jessica Jones. Watch Daredevil. Looking forward to Daredevil Season 2. Power Man and Luke Cage. That that ought to be good. Yeah. Netflix. They know what to do. All right. Anyhow, yeah. So, uh, um, whatever. Dazzler eventually agrees to help the Inhumans. So, she goes up to the dark side of the moon, which is actually the light side of the moon, uh, Quicksilver's there. He doesn't really do much. Uh, the reason that they want Dazzler there is because there's this uh, approaching darkness that's coming towards them, and they don't know what to do with it. So they figure if they get Dazzler up there, she can use her light powers to to blow the the darkness away. Uh, it turns out that in the darkness is Moonstone and uh, Black something or other. Oh man, those guys. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently they had a uh, they went up against the Avengers and. I don't know what happened. <laughs> oh, Moonstone and Black something or other. Those guys are my, like, favorites. Yeah, yeah, definitely A-list uh, Marvel villains. But anyways, so Moonstone has gotten this black guy. He's not actually black, but his name is Black something. Blackout. His name is Blackout. Uh, uh, and they they want to invade the Inhumans base. And honestly, I can't even tell you why they want to invade the Inhumans. Uh, in humans base but they do so dazzler's there and she uh you know moonstone and blackout they're kind of like fighting amongst each other because this is taking a lot of power out of blackout and he's like whoa dazzler's so hot because he sees her from inside the blackness so she's um kind of a neat plan here where um uh, uh what's his face black bolt because so many black names here Black Bolt uses his voice to feed Dazzler sound that she converts into light and blasts away at Black... Out. Blackout's 
blackness. And uh, yeah, so she well, does. That, that alone is a pretty cool concept. Yeah, yeah. Black Bolt is like, because normally Black Bolt, you can't hear him because he's like the voice that is like a nuclear bomb or something like that. But he can talk at Dazzler because she can absorb the sound and use it as some sort of weapon. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like they should just like they should team up and, and take down all crime. Oh, man, there should have been a <laughs> Black Bolt and Dazzler's limited series. Totally. I could have called it Beauty and the Black Bolt. <laughs> sure. And so Quicksilver, he runs out to go attack the guys that are uh, uh, underneath the, the black blackout's blackness that's been lit away. But uh, Moonstone is able to blast Quicksilver, and so whatever. He, like, Quicksilver doesn't actually say anything, I think, in this comic at all. Um, Blackout is able to uh, recast the blackness, and apparently he needs oxygen in order to generate the blackness. And the only way for him to generate the oxygen is if blackness is enshrouding them. So it's, you know, he always has to be maintaining his power, and it takes a lot out of him. And uh, Moonstone's trying to protect him while he's casting the blackness. And uh, she gets peeved, as she says, and she, I don't know, she explodes something on the moon. Mr. Fantastic notices, but Crystal's like, yeah, don't worry about it, Mr. Fantastic. We got this. I don't know. Eventually, Blackout passes out. And the Inhumans go and get Moonstone and Blackout, and they hail Dazzler as a hero. And Dazzler's like, oh, one of the Inhumans is really cute. And then she goes back to Earth. And uh, the funny part is that she didn't want to do any of this because she didn't want to ruin her aerobics job. But when she gets home and she lays down, like a minute later, the alarm goes off because it's time for work. And now she's late to work. She gets to work and her boss is like, you ain't been moonlighting on me, have you? And she's like, huh, I don't know why I was late today, Mr. Witwicky. Spike's father. I guess <laughs> I was just in another world, sigh. And she goes off to teach her aerobics class with one minute of sleep. Yeah, uh, I'm really, really waiting for Dazzler to end. It's almost there. It's really bad. I mean, we got a graphic novel, but, you know. (laughs) And I've thumbed through that graphic novel, and it looks like it's going to be a slog. I don't know how I'm going to digest that into, like, a five-minute bit, but we'll Well, we'll see. We'll do that one as its own separate episode. Oh, God, no. With other things tacked on. All right, fine. Because I'm like, I don't think there's any X-Men in the graphic novel. The ads make it sound like the graphic novel is important to the X universe, but I mean, I'll believe that when I see it. Here's here's my preview because I didn't read any of the words. There's a lot of scenes of her changing her top. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Riveting. Yes. Adam, did you do any reading? I did. I read a Dis- Defenders number 132, where Beast is still on his college tour and the rest of the defenders are hanging out at warren's uh mansion in the mountain and a man who is walking through the desert hugs a radioactive sign and ends up turning into uh a giant man beast which is strange the defenders fight it and it turns out that it because of the arid heat of the uh the 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 room that they're in that's what causes his his powers uh, so Iceman sucks all of the moisture out of that particular room, nearly killing himself and stopping the bad guy. And uh, so we get two interesting scenes, one where uh, Warren talks about how the defenders aren't going to suffer the same fate as the champions. That sticks in my craw. We've got to develop adequate resources. I've got to stop treating them as a bunch of house guests. We've got to be more than that. 
I got to have a talk with Beast when he gets back. And there's a scene where Iceman talks about how the Professor Xavier showed him that his power is actually two powers, power over cold and power over moisture. And that's how he is able to suck the moisture out of the room and shoot it out into another room, thereby defeating the mysterious one-off villain. Riveting. Uh, Alpha Flight number 11. Um... Features the birth of, I think it's Omega Flight, uh, most of who we don't recognize except for Wild Child. Do you remember Wild Child? No. He's like a second-rate saber tooth. I think he shows up in Age of Apocalypse. But uh, he is, uh, I think this is his first appearance. So Omega Flight is uh, some sort of team designed to destroy Vindicator or Guardian or whatever he's calling himself now. And uh, and then the backup is that we get more stuff about Sasquatch's powers. It's sort of a derivative of the Hulk based directly on uh, the Hulk's gamma radiation powers. He was trying to reproduce the Hulk, but ended up infusing some sort of Sasquatchian thing. Hmm. I also picked up a copy of the Uncanny X-Men Omnibus Volume 3 with oh. the... Just, Paul Smith variant cover. Just in time. Uh, yeah, just in time for nothing. Because, <laughs> uh, like, this, uh, this, this is a mammoth volume. It's got 154 to 175. It's got annual six and seven. It's got the special edition where Kitty has a birthday party. It's got uh, God Loves Man Kills. It's got Wolverine one through four. It's got Magic one through four. Wow. And it's got a ton of stuff in the backup, including... Um, think every single entry in of a, of a mutant of the uh the official handbook of the marvel universe okay cool so every mutant that we've encountered in the uh in the x-men comic is in this thing it's it's like it's it's many many pages it just goes on and on so so mimic is in there mimic is in there uh vanisher uh Vanisher, I Vanisher, I would assume has to be in here, but I, I'm just flipping through and. How about the stranger? Um, let's see. I don't know. You really want me to flip through and find <laughs> all these things? I can just tell you everything that everybody that's in here. No, it is okay. possible that some of these are are not. Um, it might be focusing on the uh, post Claremont stuff. No, I mean the uh, it, def- it, def- it definitely definitely doesn't have the villains of yesteryear. <laughs> oh. Remember then? I do. It's got Eunice and Lorelai. The uh, official handbook to the Marvel Universe was, as I recall, pretty in-depth and detailed. So I'm actually a little surprised that you don't have the villains of yesteryear. Well, I think uh, there probably was a villains of yesteryear uh, entry, but they just chose not to put it in this. Uh, The the guys from... um, uh, X-Men number 94, the Animen, are they, they got to be in there somewhere. <laughs> it's got the entire Imperial Guard, which is like two pages of just Dave Cockrum creations, most of which we only saw for a panel. You, you know what? I was uh, actually flipping through the other day. Uh, we've talked about this before, but the uh, Marvel superheroes game, RPG or role-playing game. Yeah. Yeah. So there was one of the add-on books was Children of the Atom, which featured all of the X-Men and their accompanying heroes and villains. And I went through that and I was like, holy crap, like it's it's pretty um, uh, detailed. Not just in like the abilities and such, but like all of the characters that they grabbed. Like I don't know how often we see the Hellions, but 
all of the Hellions are featured there with like a little backstory, what their powers are and like their strength and agility or whatever their little statistics were. Oh, here's the Vanisher. It's got the Savage Land Mutates. I think that the Mutates were also in Children of the Atom, I think. Pretty sure. So I, mm-hmm. so I don't Changeling. have it. I don't have it. I was actually like looking on eBay and Amazon like, oh, what could I pick up Children of the Atom for? That'd be kind of a cool thing to have on the shelf. It's 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 like $38, $40. And I'm like, eh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to pay that. But I found a PDF of it. And I was like, ooh, sweet. So I started skimming through the PDF. Uh, it's got those uh, blueprints of the X-Mansion and the X-Men Jet. Uh, all of the alien races that have been featured. It's got inactive members, deceased members. Wow. Including Jean Grey. Little, little file on Cerebro, so, so, Cyclops, the visor, Wolverine, Skeleton, and Adamantium, where I learned this valuable fact. Uh, there are three types of Adamantium. The first type was only created once, and that is uh, what makes up uh, Captain America's shield, along with an unknown uh, percentage of uh, Wakandan vibranium. Uh-huh, yep. yep. And they call that proto-Adamantium. Uh, Wolverine has, I guess, standard adamantium or true adamantium. And true adamantium is not as strong as proto-adamantium, but it is, uh, for all other practical purposes, indestructible in the same way. And then there's a third adamantium. Wait, let me guess. Is it Ultron's adamantium? Um, I think Ultron was mentioned here. Let's see. The outer portion of the robotic body of Ultron is composed entirely of true adamantium, oh, so it's okay. the same as Wolverine's skeleton and claws. So the third type is what now? Secondary adamantium. Hmm. Um, secondary adamantium is not indestructible, and uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, good story. So, yeah, and then it also has a bunch of uh, sketches of pages from the X-Men uh, without their their inks and without their colors and stuff and that's pretty cool it's got all these uh sketches by bill sinkevich um the introduction to god loves man kills an interview with chris claremont um about god loves man kills that is a very long interview i have not read it yet um and it's got the first like 10 pages of the neil adams god loves man kill God Loves Man Kills uh, pages. That's uh, in the uh, Masterworks as well. Okay. So, yeah, we get to see Magneto get killed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the rest of that is, is just a bunch of alternate covers and stuff. But, yeah, lots, lots of stuff. I, I, I'm, I feel like these omnibus, omnibuy, omnibuses, as they, when they first came out, the paper was really thick. And then the paper got, has been getting progressively cheaper as they go is it is the paper getting thinner because they're adding more pages because that last Quite possibly that last masterworks that i got uh, was easily half of like a traditional omnibus yeah it could it could quite be that that's why i, I don't like this thinner paper but i guess if you're packing this much material into something maybe it makes more sense this is a lot of material. Yeah, it's like the, at that last Masterworks, I'm telling you folks, if you can find it, buy it because it's like 500-some pages of just content. But anyhow, uh, anything else, Adam? No, that's – wasn't that enough? I feel like we've done more in the past, but I just can't recall what we were doing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, anyways. Stuff. <laughs> well, then, uh, until next time, my name is Jeremy. 
My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Mm-hmm.